Good morning, everyone. I am indeed Jeremy, and this is indeed the last of our When Jesus Met series. Ah, oh. now, um, right. So, um, if you have a Bible with you, um, could you turn to Mark chapter fourteen, verses three to nine, which should appear on the screens? And in my Bible, it says Jesus anointed at Bethany. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I don't know about you, but I love weddings. It's not just like the sense of the occasion and getting all dolled up in your finest togs and seeing all your friends and family. And it's not just what it represents, though that's really important. No, one of the reasons I love weddings is that it's one of those few times when people say what's true and, and, and speak out those deep, personal, intimate things publicly. And in our reading today, we have just such a moment as this, where this woman, in her devotion, it, it's, it's a deeply intimate and personal act, and yet it's a very public act. This woman's act of devotion is an encouragement to all of us to pour out our lives in devotion to Jesus, because he poured out his life for us. It takes place at the end of Jesus' ministry. Um, He's become known as a great preacher and teacher, teaching with authority like no one before him. A great miracle worker. The, the, The paralyzed and lame are walking, the blind see, the deaf hear. He's fed thousands with a few loaves of bread and some fish. And there's even talk of people being raised from the dead. But his disciples have noticed a change in him. He seemed to become far more focused, and, and, and he keeps on talking about dying. He's, he's talking about heading for Jerusalem, and where he's wanted and, and, and by the, the authorities. What's going on here? He's headed for Jerusalem for that great uh, Jewish festival of Passover. Now, the events of today's story also occur in, uh, are told in John chapter 12, and John tells us, that this took place six days before the Passover. In other words, Jesus is going to be dead before the week is out. John also tells us a bit more about the characters in today's story. John tells us that the woman was in fact Mary of Bethany, who was the sister of Martha, and Lazarus, who was a man who Jesus very recently and very spectacularly raised from the dead. So just a a few points of clarification. Um, 
This Mary is not Mary Magdalene, who was the first witness of Jesus' resurrection, and it's not to be confused with the story of the prostitute who anointed Jesus' feet, which we read about in Luke chapter 7. So what do we know about the Mary of today's story? Well, there is a a very famous passage in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house, And Martha's all distracted with getting the dinner ready. But Mary's just sitting, listening to Jesus. And and she goes and complains to Jesus. But Jesus says that Mary had chosen the best thing to sit at his feet and listen to him. So we know that Mary was someone who was enthralled by Jesus' teaching. And that she was so enthralled, she was prepared to go against all the social conventions of the day. We meet Mary again in John chapter 11, where she's weeping over the death of her brother Lazarus. And Jesus deals ever so gently with her and weeps along with her in her distress. We can only presume that the compassion that Jesus had shown her had won her heart even before she literally got her brother back from the dead. So, Mark tells us the events happened in Bethany, which is a small village outside Jerusalem, at the home of Simon the leper. Now, all the commentaries agree that Simon must have been cured of his leprosy, as people with leprosy were normally forced to live outside of society in leper colonies, because people were terrified of catching this this dreadful disease. And the fact that he's mentioned um, implies that he must have been known by the early church, And and many academics believe that when a a minor character is named like this, that implies that this is their story, this is their eyewitness account. Um, So let's put ourselves in the room. You're one of Jesus' disciples. You followed this amazing man for three years. And the things you've seen have blown your mind. the power of his, his, his speaking, the, the, the purity of his character, the amazing miracles. But now he, he keeps on talking about dying, and that can't be right. He's surely at the height of his popularity. Crowds are following him. For goodness sake, the guy that you're sit, is sitting at the table is, was raised from the dead only a week or two ago. So anyway, you, you, you're chilling, you're having a meal, and then all of a sudden, the whole atmosphere changes. Mary comes, and her face is radiant. Maybe tears are coming down her face, and she's carrying this this white flask. It looks really expensive. And she comes up to Jesus, breaks it, and pours it over his head. And this oil flows down over his whole body and onto his feet. And then it hits you. This amazing perfume fills the whole house. You recognize, goodness me, that's nard. Good grief, that's ridiculously expensive. Mark tells us the ointment could have been sold for 300 denarii. Well, obviously you know that a denarius is what the average man would have earned for a full day's work. So we try and put that in today's um, money, depending what we class onto the average wage, it works out that this was a £20,000 bottle of perfume. Now, my day job is working as a GP. Now, it must be said, I am 
pretty well paid for the job I do. But when it comes to buying perfume for my wife, <laughs> given the choice between, let, let's take it down a bit, say £100 for a bottle of Chanel Number no. 5, or £4 for the little smell-alike, I'm afraid I go little all the way. Um, she may get a frock and a night out as well. Um, John tells us that Martha was serving dinner. So th this isn't a super rich family that have got servants. So what was Mary doing with a £20,000 bottle of perfume? We don't know. Some commentators have suggested it was an expensive family heirloom. What is clear is that a single woman in that culture, there's no way that she could have earned that amount of money, so she must have been given. So what Mary was given, what she had received, she poured out in devotion to Jesus. John tells us that the perfume was also poured over Jesus' feet, and then Mary wiped his feet with her hair. This is incredibly shocking. Women in the ancient Middle East would traditionally have had their hair covered, except in very intimate and personal family situations. It's much like we might see today with many Muslim women wearing a hijab in public. So for Mary to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair would have been as shocking then as it would be for a hijab-wearing Muslim woman today to wipe the feet of an imam in front of the elders of the mosque. So in doing this act, Mary was sacrificing her pride, her dignity, and her social standing in front of everyone there in order to give devotion to Jesus. Mark tells us that there were people there who were indignant. Never mind about Mary doing that. What about the cash? Why the waste? This money could have been, this ointment could have been sold and given to the poor. And verse 5 even tells us that they scolded her. So Mary was criticized essentially by others within the church. I must admit that my first thoughts were the same. Let's sell the perfume. We can buy the little equivalent of nard. And what's, what's the little equivalent of nard? Lard? I don't know. Um, um, use that for the anointing, and with the rest of the money, we can get a great social justice ministry going. So were the disciples correct in their assessment? Were Mary's actions a waste? Well, the Oxford Living Dictionary defines waste as to use or expend carelessly, extravagantly, or to no purpose. So were Mary's actions careless, extravagant, or to no purpose? Well, Jesus doesn't seem to think so. Jesus is the one who defends Mary and even goes on to say that um, uh, wherever the gospel was preached, what she had done would be told in memory of her. And he says that what she's done was beautiful. I don't know about you, but I find that word striking. I don't think we can know for certain, but I do wonder whether beauty was very important to Mary wouldn't be so shocking. I mean, lots of us, beauty and, and looking good uh, and being fit is important to lots of us. But I do wonder whether Mary, in pouring out perfume and wiping his feet with her hair, was saying, I, I give up putting beauty first and I choose to put you first. 
And in return, Jesus was saying what she'd done was truly beautiful. So Jesus explains that she was anointing his body beforehand for burial. He was telling his disciples again that he was going to die. And he was even giving what she'd done prophetic significance. Just as Mary had poured out perfume over him, soon he would be pouring out his life as he went to the cross. And why would Jesus go to the cross? Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus was the eternal God, the Son, who before the foundations of the world had known perfect unity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He had the praise of the whole host of heaven. He needed nothing. He was rich beyond compare. And yet he chose to be born as a helpless baby in a country under enemy occupation. He chose to become a penniless and homeless preacher, being rejected by the people he'd come to save. At times, his own earthly family thought he was insane. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was tortured and then slaughtered on a Roman cross. And on that cross, he experienced for the first time in the whole of eternity separation from his heavenly father. And why would he do that? Well, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, and we had reference to it in our worship, that we should be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what was the joy that was set before him? What, what, what did he not have in heaven and in eternity that made it worth going to the cross for? What was the joy? The answer is you, and you, and you. The one through whom and for whom the whole universe was created set his love on you, so desired to see you uh, free from the chains of sin and shame and all the mess you're in, that he came for you. And my Lord Jesus Christ rose again on that third day and later ascended to heaven where he is right now praying for you and pleading your case in front of God the Father. Do you realize what your Savior has done for you? Do you realize how much you are loved? Do you realize what this means? Whatever you feel about yourself, you are not worthless. You are not rejected. You are chosen son or daughter of the King of Heaven. Your Heavenly Father delights in you. Yes. Do you know the love of this Saviour? And what would be an appropriate response to such a great sacrifice? What Mary had received she poured out in devotion to Jesus. How much this side of the cross and knowing what Jesus did for us do we owe him in our devotion? The true heart of the good news of Jesus Christ is not that in following him we get our sins forgiven, although we do. And it's not that we get credited with his perfect record of righteousness, although we do. And it's not even that we get eternal life, although we do. No, the true heart of the good news of Jesus Christ is that in following him, we get him, and that is what we were made for. And if Jesus is your ultimate treasure, 
then there is nothing that can separate you from his love. Not nothing in life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nothing that is or will come will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Or as the American preacher Jim Elliot famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said that Mary's actions were more important than ministry to the poor. And why is that? I mean, the Bible says we're supposed to care for the poor. So what's going on here? Why were Mary's actions given eternal significance? Well, I believe that Jesus has given this as a pattern for our own lives. Jesus wants us to waste ourselves in devotion to him. That's where it starts, and that is where it's got to end. It's in pouring out our lives in devotion to Jesus that we actually find out truly what it means to lead a life worth living. And this is the nature of the upside-down kingdom of God. The way up is down. It's in wasting our lives in devotion to Jesus that we get a life of true significance. Now, for most of us, of course, the way we work that out is going to be in some act of serving in, in, within the church. Um, but forever doing things, even good things like serving the poor, without first having a heart of devotion to Jesus, is not God's best for you. And there may be some people here who have got a heart of devotion to Jesus and are not doing anything outwardly that other people would see as a serving role. And it's quite clear from this that it's not up to the church to criticize it. Jesus is your judge. And if you truly have a heart of devotion to Jesus, then Jesus would say to you, I believe, as he said to Mary, that what you are doing in your devotion is truly and eternally significant. So I actually believe that the Christian life is one of continually redevoting ourselves to Jesus. And just want to share a little bit of our story. About 10 years ago, my wife and I uh, left the church where we'd been members for 16 years. We'd been involved in leadership and leading worship and leading kids' work. And we left it because over, over a matter of conscience. And we felt bruised and battered and hurt and wondering what God was doing in this. Then a few years ago, we felt God call us to move into the inner city uh, to leave the home, with, which was very comfortable, where our kids grew up. And, but we felt that that's where God wanted us to be. And then two years ago, I felt God call me to leave the job where I'd been very comfortable for the previous 23 years, um, to go and serve the community that I was living. Now, at every step on our journey, uh, it, it felt really hard. We were giving up friends that we'd known. I, it destroyed relationships with my old partners. It cost us financially. And to be honest, I struggled in giving that up. But, you know, I honestly really do believe that God is good and that he means to do good for us and that Jesus is worth it. And so despite that, I ended up getting to that point where I said, Jesus, I, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you and I give this up to you. And it's only in hindsight and looking back that I can see that we have been so much more blessed by, by God in what we've given away. 
um, that it doesn't bear comparison. Now, I must admit that sometimes Jesus doesn't feel like my heart's desire or ultimate treasure, and I'm sure that's the same for a lot of you. So it's no surprise then that I want to hold on to my money and I don't want to look like one of those weird Christians who turns around every single conversation to Jesus. So what are we supposed to do when we're feeling like that? Well, we've already heard in today's worship one of the most uh, consistent calls in the Bible is to remember. The people of God were, were, were frequently told to remember what God had done for them. That they and their ancestors were slaves in Egypt, but God broke in. He set them free from slavery. He delivered them by his mighty power. He, he delivered them miraculously by, as they went through the divided Red Sea. He destroyed their enemies. He sustained them in the desert for 40 years with water from rocks and bread from heaven. He brought them into a fertile, spacious land. He delivered them from their enemies time and time again. Now, I think that this is a pattern for our own lives when we're feeling spiritually dry, to look back and see what God has done in our own lives. So who were you and what were you like before God came into your life? For me, I know that I was proud and even arrogant at times. I was a kind of person who could be snide and cynical about people as a, as a way of feeling better about myself by putting people down. I had a habit of drinking far too much at social occasions. I got my whole life priorities wrong. I, 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 I devoted far too much time to my career and neglected my wife. I'd lived with lies in my life for so long that I'd buried them out of sight and out of my thoughts. But, you know, over the years, Jesus has changed me. He's broken in, and he's broken many of these chains. Now, it may be that I, I still have some of these traits, but Jesus has set me free. What about you? What were you like? What's Jesus done for you? Can you, with me, say along with John Newton, the writer of the hymn Amazing Grace, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Rick. The degree to which you appreciate and see how much Jesus has done for you, how he poured out his life for you, and how by his Spirit's power in your life, you are being transformed will give you the strength and encouragement to pour out your life in devotion to him. So the strange but beautiful truth we see in the story of Mary of Bethany is that in pouring out our lives in devotion to Jesus, we discover our true purpose and meaning in life. Then we can, with a clear conscience, sing with that other great hymn writer, Isaac Watts, with a whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all.